Hey everyone, welcome. This is Lucas Granger, lead pastor of Coastal Church. It is our hope that you will find this podcast today challenging, inspiring, and practical as we seek to reach the world with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. It's great. I think I'm still the pastor here. I've been gone for a few weeks. Good to see you guys. Y'all are looking good, looking all tan up in July at the beach. All right, let's turn to the book of Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. We're going to read some scripture. If you don't have your Bible, you could power it on, your phone or your tablet, send up smoke signals out there, whatever you do. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. So then Jesus returned to Galilee. He's filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly at the synagogues and was praised by everyone. Now, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath, stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now what happens next is crazy. It says that he rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant, and sat down. Shortest sermon ever. (laughs) Jesus goes there and literally preaches a 10-second sermon. Rolls up the scroll, sits down. All eyes in the synagogue are looking at him intently. Then he began to speak to him and said this, The scripture that you've just heard this day has been fulfilled. This is the ultimate mic drop. (laughs) Jesus has come in. He's read this scroll and is just like. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody's looking at him. And he's like, what? Today, it's been fulfilled. And at that point, the band came back in. And Alan was up there, and Alan was leading guitar for Jesus. A miracle can happen now. And like, and everybody got saved. Like, no, wait, but hold on. This is what happens. He says this, and then all of a sudden, people start to get a little bit confused because they're like, whoa, hold on. Blind are going to see. Captives be set free. This sounds great. This sounds awesome. But nothing's happened yet. What do you mean? It's fulfilled. It's done this very day. And then people are talking. They're looking at Jesus. They're chatting. And they said this. Isn't this Joseph's son? Wait, hold on. It, it can't be. It can't be. Isn't this Joseph's son? I found this to be true. We as a people, we can rarely, if ever, see past our own expectations. We can rarely, if ever, see past our own expectations. 
See, we expect certain things to look a certain way, to act a certain way, to do certain things. And so whenever, I mean, this is a people that are in search for a savior, and he's grown up with them. And now all of a sudden, he is proclaiming, listen, the gospel is here, it's now, it's among us. All of this is getting ready to happen. It's right here. And so whenever all of a sudden they've been encountered with the words of Jesus, something rings in their heart, but then there's what they see with their eyes. And hold on, didn't he like make my table? Isn't he, just, isn't he just a carpenter's son? Didn't you have a piece of furniture made by Jesus in your house? And he's talking like this, like the blind are going to see. Maybe he should just stick to making tables. I, I don't know. Like We often can't see past our expectations. What you're looking for, you will find. And oftentimes, we're looking for the worst. Um, <laughs> this is terrible segue into this story. Uh, my mother-in-law, <laughs> what's the worst? I'm fine. Anyway, y'all catch that one later. Um, so anyway, I love the girl. She's awesome, great mother-in-law, but she has a problem. And the problem is this, the girl can't cook to save her life. She can't. She can't. She's just, she, she can't cook. And she has this thing, though. She wants to come over to our house. She wants to visit us. They live in Texas. And it's this thing that when she comes over, she's just like, Lucas, I want to cook a meal for you. And I'm like, no, I want to serve you. I really do. Let me cook for you. And I do, ask Devin, I do everything I can. I'm like, just do not let your mama in the kitchen. I will cook for you because ex- I've tasted and I've seen. It ain't good. So I'll be in the chicken. I'll be cooking the chicken or whatever, and then she'll come in, and she'll try to help. And I'm like, no, Mary, it's okay. Just go watch some TV. Spend some time with your grandkids. I just want to bless you. Allow me this honor. Allow me this honor to cook this meal for you. Oh, you're such a good son-in-law. I am. Just don't cook. And then we've had these moments, though, and then we've actually been in Texas, and her mom cooked, and I told her, I'm like, Baby, we got to have a plan B. I do not want to go to bed hungry tonight. But she made this something, and it was good. And I was blown away. Like, my expectation, like, like, wow. See, I had, like, so lowered the bar. Like, it was down at McDonald's cheeseburger territory. Like, you know, seriously, I don't even think that should be labeled food. Side note. I wasn't here last week. And so my wife tells me this story that she was running late for another appointment, so she had to stop by McDonald's. Now, that's something we don't do in the Granger household. She goes to McDonald's to feed her and the kids, and then she tells me there's like five other church members there. (laughs) Y'all, the fundamentals of discipleship. We're going to talk about these things later. Seriously, y'all are going to McDonald's. That's not cool. Jesus does not approve of a french fry that you could drop in your floorboard and it looks the exact same 20 years later. (laughs) You're putting that in your body. Don't do that. Back to my original story. So there's these expectations. Her mom blows it away. And I just got to thinking about how we do that with people. We, we have a certain expectation of people and we, we very rarely expect more than what we've come to expect from them. 
And so because someone's behaved or acted a certain way that we've known, well, that's just, well, we could expect them to always do this, always be like this, always have this problem, always have this addiction, always treat people this way. And so we wonder why we get what we expect. And then we transfer that not only to our relationships, but we we transfer it to our church. What did you come expecting this morning? I mean, come on, let's be honest, because there's those moments where we expect, and, and, and when, oh, we're just, somebody's going to sing some songs, and, and somebody's going to teach it. No, no, no. Did you expect God to show up this morning? Did you come expecting, listen, I didn't come to just hear, hear some music or hear somebody speak. God, I came here this morning because I need more of you. I'm expecting you to show up, and I'm expecting you to do something in my life like never before. I'm expecting the God who speaks a word and causes this whole planet to be formed to do something in my life. I'm expecting that God to do something, to be up, to show up, and be in this place. And so we've, we've so lowered our expectations to it's just, well, God, if you could just let the band be on key and the pastor not be too loud, that will be a successful church service. Like, no, God, I'm expecting you. And see, so, so we have this expectation of people. We have this expectation of church. And whether we realize it or not, we often have this expectation of God. So we put God in a box, and we say, God, this is how I've come to know you. This is how you've worked for me in the past. And so now this is how you're going to work for me in the future. And it's no longer a God who speaks a word and causes mountains to rise up. Now he's just a God that, well, he may help my back pain. He, he may help me out with rent this month. And I'm not diminishing any of those things because he deeply cares about every detail of your life. But what I'm saying is when it comes to our life, when it comes to living, do we recognize and have an expectancy of, listen, this is the God who is resurrected from the dead. I mean, that should just change the way that we pray. No matter what we're facing, no matter what hurt, no matter what pain, no matter what, what obstacle we're facing in our life, Put that obstacle beside the God who is resurrected from the dead. It should do something to our faith. What it should do is raise our expectations. God, I, 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 I can't go to church as normal. I just can't keep living as normal. I just can't expecting these things to happen because it's what I've always got. God, you've got to do something. What are we expecting? See, we kind of get this idea that, well, because he's unchanging that we that he's predictable. Like, have you ever read the Bible? <laughs> have you ever actually read? Like, dude, Jesus is anything but predictable. Is there any blind people this morning? Anybody? Like, somebody find me some mud, and I'm going to spit and rub it all in your eyes. Like, that's what Jesus did. Like, I'm going to make mud pies and rub it in your eyes. Like, Jesus did some stuff that, whoa. I mean, Jesus walks on stage, preaches a 10-second sermon, drops the mic. And like says today, I mean, Jesus is anything but predictable. Has he become predictable in your life? Has he become predictable in your marriage? Has he become predictable with your kids? God, I'm looking for you. I'm looking for your presence. Uh, this week, me and Alan got to talking, 
And uh, those of you who don't know, Alan was the, the gentleman leading worship here this morning. We've been friends for a long time. For all of my life, I've always uh, called him Alan because that's what everyone calls him. But his actual birth name given by his parents is Christopher Alan Stanley. And Alan is his middle name. And so Alan was talking to me and he was telling me, this story of whenever he was in the military, you know, there's all these people that don't know him, and so they would just call him Christopher, Christopher Stanley. He said there's these times where he'd be at the doctor's office or whatever, and they'd say it over the microphone, Christopher Stanley, and he would just sit there. <laughs> and then people would call him, be like, Christopher Stanley. Like, oh, yeah, that's me. He's like, it was just like nobody's called me Christopher my whole life, and it's just, I forgot that it was me. Some of you have forgotten who you are. There's some people in this room that God has been calling you by your proper name and you believe he's talking to someone else because the name he's calling you by doesn't register true with your daily living. See, he's calling you overcomer, but you don't feel that way and so you just sit down and you let the call bypass you because after all, everyone's always just called me this. But I want to remind you this morning that, listen, he has given you a name. And that name is important. My name given to me is Lucas. And it literally means bringer of light. And I've always thought about that. I, always, I never liked the name Lucas. And the, one of the reasons why I didn't like the name Lucas, because I was an 80s kid, and they made a movie about a kid who ate bugs named Lucas. And I'd have to go through school and like, no, I don't eat bugs. And then I grew up later and did missions and I ended up eating bugs. And I was like, okay, it kind of was true. But I think about that name that my mom gave me and, and, I, and I think that, God, that's, I am a bringer of light. I'm not the light. Jesus, you're the light. But God, I want to bring light wherever I go. God, I want to go into some dark places and light it up. I want to light up the darkness in Brunswick County. I want to be part of an agent of what you're doing in the body of Christ to bring light to a people. And show forth, God, because you've been given a name. You've been given a name that's above every name. You came down, and even so much, your name was so important that you sent an angel to Mary to say, listen, this is what this baby's going to be named. His name's going to be Jesus. You can't name him anything else because his name, at this name, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And I'm here to tell you, your father has given you a name too. And if you're not careful, you'll just listen to what the world calls you. If you're not careful... You'll just be the carpenter's boy. If you're not careful, you'll step out in faith and wait, hold on, doesn't he do my plumbing? Isn't that the mechanic that fixes our car? What do you you mean, all of this? And these people are searching for a treasure that is right in front of them. They are searching for a treasure that is right in front of them. I wonder how often that this is still the case. Searching for a treasure that's right in front of them. 
Sometimes you're so close to it that you can't see it. It's this, there's, this, there's this proximity that comes along with vision sometimes. And sometimes when we think of vision, we're trying to think of like the thing that's way out there, but the truth is it's so close to you that you're blinded to it. It's trying to find your glasses and they're on your head. <laughs> it's that moment where it's so close because you've grown up with it. You've slept beside it. You've wiped the diapers. And if we're not careful, we could come so close that we miss the gift that's right in front of us. See, I have to, it's these moments where I'm trying to convince my wife. I'm like, like baby, I just know it. We're going to do something great. And she's like, if you could just get a Tic Tac, that would be great. <laughs> but baby, you don't understand. We're going to preach the gospel and people are going to get saved and people are going to get healed. And Brunswick County is going to be changed. And, and she's like, yeah, but if you could get the spinach out of your teeth, that would be wonderful. I'm like... Gosh, I don't want to miss what's right in front of me. So Jesus comes in, and, and he, it says that he's gone to his hometown, his place of Nazareth. Listen, he's welcome everywhere but in his hometown. Now, this is crazy. Is there any sports fans in the room today? A few of you? All four of you. Okay. <laughs> Terrible illustration I'm about to give, but I'm still going to give it. Have y'all ever heard of this thing called the NFL? It's football. Is there any Cleveland Brown fans? Of course there's not. There's one! Historically the worst team in the NFL. Like, historical fact, there's no getting around it. But here's the thing. Cleveland, right? Wherever they're from. They're so... Anyway. Even in their home stadium, people cheer them. Because that's their hometown. Because that's their home team. We don't care. Even if it's the worst team in the whole league, we're going to cheer them because it's our team. And here's the thing. This is Jesus' hometown. If anybody should cheer him on, if anyone should say, that's our boy, it should be Nazareth. It should be the place. These are the people he's grown up with. These are the people that should just be like, yeah, that's Jesus. But you know what? In a few verses, they're going to try to throw him off a cliff. The one place that, like, this is his hometown. This is where everyone should be cheering him on. This is the kingdom come. This is the kingdom come that has been living among them for 30 years, and they don't recognize it, and they're trying to kill the very thing that they're looking for. Because they're so close to it. After all, it's been 30 years, and Jesus, what have you done up to this point? You really haven't done much. We haven't seen much. And, and, and I've come to find that there is no pain like the pain from family. There's no pain like the pain from those that are the closest to you. And sometimes when it comes to family, we have blinders. That we can't see past what we've always saw. And, and that it's, it, it happened right here. In Jesus' own hometown, there's a scripture in 2 Samuel 18 where David... Now, when you think about David in the Old Testament, David is this king. David is this man of war. He's, he's killed giants. He, he, he's done amazing things. But there's this little portion of scripture where, where David has to go into battle. And I would say that this is probably the hardest battle in all of David's life is in 2 Samuel chapter 18. 
And the reason why I would say this is the hardest battle of David's life is because this. He has been run out of the kingdom by his own son. Absalom has run him out of the kingdom, and now he is fighting. He is going to war. The people of Israel and, 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 and David's people, and they're, they're fighting each other. So much to the point where they're getting ready to go into this battle, David calls the captains to himself and says, listen, listen, I, I know what's about to go down, but for the young man Absalom, be easy on him. Because at the end of the day, I know what he's done to me. I know the insurrection and how he's kicked me out of my kingdom and how he's dishonored me, but he's still my boy. And David understands this, even if I win, I lose. Because no matter what he's done, he's family. And see, Absalom couldn't see it. Absalom has grown up so close to David, he, did, he didn't understand the greatness of his father. All he saw is, man, I'm going to take this kingdom. He couldn't see what was right in front of him. How do you know? Like the ugliest fights that you will have will be with family. The worst knockdown, drag out fights that you will have will be with family. If you don't believe me, just take a video camera to your next family reunion. Uh-huh. Y'all don't want that on YouTube. Cops all showing up. Bobby having to arrest people on the spot. Family reunion. All them t-shirts that say Robinson family reunion all torn up, broken, people burning them. You know it. Like you thought you had patience, and then you hung out with family for an evening. And you're like, oh, Lord, I got a long way to go. I love you, Mama, but you got to go home now. And she's singing the same thing. I love you, son, but you got to go home now. Like, it's that thing. It's, it's something. It's with family. We get so close that sometimes our proximity clouds our vision and our expectations begin to get dimmed. Sometimes the greatest distance that can take place between individuals are the, is the distance from those that are closest to each other. Let me put it another way. You could be living underneath the same roof and really be miles apart. And every married couple in here knows exactly what I'm talking about. You, you could be right there, right, right in the midst, and, and actually there's so much distance there. Uh, there's a story where Jesus is coming, and, and there's Mary and there's Martha, and Martha is in the kitchen. Martha's frying up all the food. She's got lamb chops cooking, and she's cooking dinner, and she's just getting heated. She's getting heated and heated. Why? Because her sister is just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she gets so heated to the point, you could just imagine how she's in there in the kitchen just cooking, and she's sweating. There ain't no air conditioning in first century Jerusalem. And she's mad, and she's like, I tell you, all these guys, all the women do all the work. We know that's the truth. But then she's cooking, and then I tell you, the worst one is my sister. Oh, look at her just sitting there. Look at me. I'm doing all this work. Here's the thing. And she goes up to Jesus. She stops the party. She stops the party and says, hold on. Tell her to get in this kitchen and help me. Now, you got to wonder, there's other people at the party. There's other people at this dinner, but yet she points out her sister because it's family. And she can say whatever she wants, she thinks. Because that's wrong, it's family, and she should be helping me, and this is my sister, and, and I've grown up with her, and she, she's never done this all of her life. She's the lazy one, Jesus. 
And Jesus is like, hold on. Martha, you've missed it. Actually, she's right where she's supposed to be. You're the one that's actually far off. A similar story is told. We call it the prodigal son. See, sometimes I think we falsely label that story because we think the story is all about the son that leads this faraway lifestyle. But the truth is there's an older brother that's never left, but he's always been gone. He stands on the outside of the tent and never enters the party. What are you doing? Why did you, why did you do this for him? See, I, I think there's another prodigal in this story. It's hard for me to convince you to return to a place that you thought you never left. Because after all, you've grown up there. You've been serving there. You've done this time and time again. You've been right there. Anything that the Father's told you, you've, you, you, you've done it. And the Father has to come out to you and say, don't you realize you could have had a party any time? See, you could come to church you can listen to the music and never really worship. You can listen to the sermon and never really hear what the Spirit of Jesus is trying to say to you. And sometimes we come so close and sometimes we've lowered our expectations to such a level that we're just like these people. And we go through life like that. And the outworking of that is what the Bible calls a hardened heart. We, get, we begin to get hard towards our spouses, towards our churches, towards our leaders, towards our governments, towards just people in general. Because after all, we did step out in faith, but we've been hurt. And now because we've been hurt, we just we build up this hardness of heart in our, in our walls. And, and, and what happens is we, we build it up in such a way that we could still remain close, but we're really far away and so what happens is we do it so much that we feel like it's keeping us safe when the really thing the only thing it's doing is keeping you lonely and that's the thing that you would never say out loud because that's the thing that well no one knows that no no one no one uh, everything's good, everything, life's good. I, I just keep warning, I, I just keep serving the king. And, and, and Jesus is like, hold on, Martha. Uh, I, you need to learn something here. And so Jesus does this. He, he's gone out, he's gone town to town, and people are hearing about him. His own hometown has rejected him. There's, a, there's this issue. And yet Jesus is very clear that, listen, I, I think what he's doing here, he's like, I'm asking you guys to believe. I know what you've seen, but you've got to understand there's something more. There's something more. He's saying there's something more in me than just what you've grown up with. And I'm here to announce that the kingdom has come. It's among you. It's here. It's now. Oppressed are going to be set free. Blind eyes are going to be open. I'm asking you to believe again. I'm asking you to hope again. I'm asking you to tear down some of these hard walls that you've built up. Otherwise, you're just going to keep getting what you've always got. God has called you, every one of us, to something great. 
and you're going to step out, and you're going to announce it, and the next thing you know, people are going to try to throw you off a cliff. I'm serious. You're going to step out in faith, and see, we've been taught, and we think that everything's just going to work out. Everything's going to work out perfectly. All right, uh, God, we're good. He's spoken to me. He's told me what to do. It's going to be awesome, and we're going to go do it. Hey, listen, guys, the kingdom's coming. It's among us. Here's now. This is what's going to happen. Okay, cliff for you. (laughs) Things are going to go wrong. The Bible shows us the picture even with Jesus. And see, like, we get frustrated when things do go wrong. It's actually just a testimony that you're actually doing something right. I know you're going through some pain. I know you're going through some struggle. Welcome. (laughs) Period. That's the way it works. Because love and compassion is always up close and personal. Love and compassion is always up close and personal, and that means you can get hurt. Listen to this. Here goes your Twitter moment. You can't change what you're not willing to touch. You can't change what you're not willing to touch. See, we live in a society that says that you can love and have compassion from a distance. You could write a blog. You could post something on Facebook. You could text a friend. Let me make this very clear. You will not change the world on Facebook. No one is going to read your blog and think, oh, I've had bad theology all of my life. No, you're just going to argue with people. Love and compassion is always up close and personal, and you've got to touch it. I've told this story before, and if you've been a part of this church, or still, you'll probably hear it a lot more. Because this was a moment in my life that changed me forever. I was in India. And I hadn't eaten for a few days. We had been doing all of this ministry, and it was just really busy. We ended up getting on this train, and the missionary that I was with there, he said, hey, when we get to this next train stop, uh, I'm, I'm going to have my cousin come in, and he's bringing us some food, so we're going to get to get something to eat. And I was like, yes, because I'm so hungry. It literally had been a few days since I'd gotten anything to eat. And um, we get to this train station, and I get off the train, and I am surrounded by, without exaggeration, hundreds of kids that are starving. I was hungry. They were starving. Their clothes were was beat up. There was open sores all over their bodies. There was kids that were missing limbs. There was this one kid on this, no legs, and he was on a skateboard just pushing himself around. And it, it, it was just, it was this horrible horrible moment. And I got off the train, and I'm just looking at these people, and my heart is just breaking. And at the moment, the missionary comes, and he's got this little thing full of rice. And I look at him, I'm like, man, I can't eat this. I'm like, I, I got to give it to these kids. But, but there was a problem. The problem was it was in this little Tupperware container. And he told me, it's like, Lucas, you know, it's okay that if you want to give the kids you're rice, but we can't just give them the container. It's valuable. we got to have this Tupperware container back. So I didn't know what to do. I, and I looked, and there's this dirty, nasty, filthy old newspaper scattered everywhere. So I took some of the newspaper, and I laid down the newspaper, and I just poured the rice. And all of these kids, 
They just swarmed it. And they were eating the rice off of the floor of the stinking train station. And there was this moment And I wasn't hungry anymore. I had food that nobody else knew of. And that scripture became alive to me. But you could hear that story, but you'll never know it until you touch it, until you smell it until you're surrounded by it. See, let me be very clear. It's not enough to just give a few bucks to the missionary. It's not enough to just, hey, we've gone to church and we put a few bucks in the offering plate or, 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 or I posted a thing on Facebook saying that I love Jesus. No, you've got to touch it. What if Jesus looked down from heaven, saw all of the pain, all of the suffering we were in, and was just like, hey, I pray for you guys. No, he stepped out of heaven and into humanity and took on the flesh and said, you know what, I'm going to be amongst them and I'm going to suffer for them and I'm going to die a death on a cross for them and I'm going to touch their pain and I'm going to touch their hurt and I'm going to be able to stand there and say, I know what you're going through. I know what it's like to be rejected by those around you. I know what it's like even from your own family, from those that love you the most. I know what it's like even in your own hometown to be bring something good only to have it rejected. I know what it's like. I know the pain and I know the hurt and I know the sorrow. I touched it. Let's all stand. I think there's some people in here this morning that you've gotten so busy cooking the chicken that Jesus is saying, just pause. Just pause. We live in a society that's so fast-paced. Sometimes the hardest thing for you to do is nothing. <laughs> to just simply sit at the feet of Jesus and be in his presence and rest. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you would like to explore more resources just like this, take a moment and download the Coastal Church app. Also, if you would like to give financially to support the ministry here at Coastal, go to mycoastalchurch.com giving. God bless and have a wonderful week.